when you make a Chucky movie, it's all about Chucky. Like if you're like, can I do another take? They're like, no, Chucky was perfect in that one because it's all about getting his all, you know, you've got eight people working different parts of his body, getting everything right. So, I mean, you can do your really good emoting on your close-up, I guess, but you know, the two shots are the master. If Chucky's good, they move on. I'm Eli Roth, and this is my Shudder original series, History of Horror Uncut. Each episode is a candid conversation with a master of the genre, drawn from raw and unfiltered interviews conducted for my AMC TV series, Eli Roth's History of Horror. These are deep dives into the dark power and wicked fun of frightening movies, the craft that goes into making them, and the ways that horror reflects the anxieties of our times. They're also probing, insightful, and often funny conversations that open up doors into the minds of horror's star creators. The terror begins right after this. Jennifer Tilly was an established actress with an Academy Award nomination to her credit when she was offered the title role in Bride of Chucky, so her immediate response was to say no. But her sensational performance as Tiffany turned her into a comedy horror icon. Jennifer tells History of Horror executive producer Kurt Sienga about the many ways playing a serial killing doll with a heart of gold transformed her life. So, Jennifer, how did you become involved in Bride of Chucky? Well, first of all, when I got offered Bride of Chucky, I didn't know anything about the Chucky series. I mean, it was sort of on the periphery of my consciousness, but I was never a horror film aficionado. So when my manager called up and said, he goes, you got an offer? It's for a major motion picture. And I was like, because ah! I never get major motion pictures. I go, what's it about? What's it about? He goes, oh, it's about a little doll that kills people. <laughs> I was so insulted. I go, a Chucky movie? You want me to do a Chucky movie? I'm not doing a Chucky movie. Because I had this idea that horror films were something you did at the very beginning of your career or at the end of your career, you know. And I did not, myself as a rising young actress, I really felt like people wouldn't take me seriously if I was in a movie or my co-star was a homicidal little doll. So I was very against it. And of course, my manager is really... He's wanting me to do it because he's like looking looking for the paycheck. I think he passed on it. And then Don Mancini and Diva Kirshner wanted me so bad that they chipped in some money from their own paychecks. They're like up the offer and they kind of didn't understand it wasn't really the offer. It was just like I just had some sort of idea about what it was to do a Chucky movie. And so that's what it was. And I hadn't even read the script or anything. So my manager goes, oh, Jennifer, can you just meet with them? They, they want to talk to you. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I could do that, you know, free lunch. So I went to the Bel Air Hotel. I met Dom Kirshner, who's one of the producers. 
and he opened up the trunk and he showed me this giant doll and the valley parka looked in and you know those guys are supposed to be all elegant and he lit up like a little kid he goes chucky hello chucky and don said you will get one of these dolls if you do the movie like he's gonna throw it in it's one of the really big dolls it's like the size of a toddler and i wasn't sure i wanted one but you know i thought that was nice and then we went in and we talked and he said that Don Mancini, when he was writing it, he kept hearing my voice. And I think the producers wanted, there was a girl actress that was on Baywatch and he, they, they were like, oh, why don't we get her? And he's like, you know, people love my voice or they hate my voice. And Don Mancini is one of the people that loved my voice and he's pretty obsessed with the idea of me being in the show. So I promised I'd read it, but I, I liked a lot of the stuff that Don Kirshner said. Ronnie Yu was directing and I had a boyfriend that, he had a fetish for Asian women and, you know, I'm half Asian. So I felt like I didn't quite measure up, but he thought Asian women were so beautiful and he loved these Hong Kong movies. So we would go and see them on dates and I just loved how fantastical they were. And like, you know, how they had the ghosts and the supernatural and the beautiful cinematography. And I just really love the Hong Kong movies. So The Bride with White Hair, one of Ronnie Yu's most favorite ones, is such an iconic film. So I thought, well, that doesn't sound like a typical horror movie that they have Ronnie Yu, the, you know... Hong Kong auteur directing it. And then they also had Peter Powell, who later on won an Oscar for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And then I read the script and, you know, it's like, forget everything you thought about horror films. I just thought it was so funny and entertaining and amusing. I didn't, wasn't prepared for the sense of humor. And it was also very poignant. It had some poignant moments and it was an homage, very clever homage of Bride of Frankenstein, even to the point that I don't know if this was in the script, but when the TV falls in the bathtub and electrocutes her, it's the monster screaming in the T I'm screaming in the bathtub and Elsa Lancaster is screaming on the TV as I'm getting electrocuted. And actually that's, I think one of the most beautiful shots in any horror movie where the bubbles are going up and little Chucky is like, he's like a little kid. He's like, oh, the bubbles and you know, all the things that were going on in that shot is so amazing. They also had a little boat and at the time Titanic Titanic had come out, this little inside joke. And so the boat was upended in the bathtub. So there was like a lot of stuff going on. I remember that day I had the worst headache. Like I used to get migraines and I had to like go under the water with my eyes wide open. And then I had to emerge because I emerged like, you know, she has a last shock of life and scares little Chucky. It's just like, <laughs> so it was hard work. But also I like the fact that Brad Dourif, who I really admired, I think I saw a film that he was in, Mississippi Burning, brilliant actress doing the voice of Chucky. So it's not like Scooby-Doo or something like that. So I got convinced. And also, you know, my friend Tina Gershon, she said, Jennifer, you, I would love to do that. She goes, you will have a franchise. She said, every actress wants a franchise. And I was sort of like, well, I don't know how much of a franchise I'm going to have since I die in the movie. I didn't understand the oeuvre of Chucky because every movie Chucky dies and then he comes back to life. And at the end of this movie, Tiffany dies. And then sure enough, she pops up in the next movie in the next movie. And so I kind of didn't understand that. I thought I was one and done. And I didn't realize how much it would change my life. I didn't even realize that I was an icon, a horror icon until the internet happened, which was about 15, 20 years later, because, you know, I did my Chucky movie. I went and went about my way. I was very happy with how it turned out and everything. And I started to realize that there was such a cult following. And I would try to describe it to people. I said, you know how they have Trekkies? That's 
the cult. That's what the Chucky cult is like. And it's just like so amazing, like the most loyal fans in the world. And, you know, there's all these people that have these Tiffany, Chucky, Jennifer Tilly, Instagram websites. And there's so much amazing Chucky art, you know, all these brilliant artists are doing all their renditions with so much humor. And I actually have bought some of them. I'm like, I DM these artists and I was like, can I buy that picture that you did of, of Tiffany? So it's it's amazing how much it captured the imagination of people all around the world. Like I do a lot of traveling and I'll go to countries where they don't even speak English. And the one word they know is Chucky and they scream, Chucky! When they see me, they point at me, they're like, Chucky! And then they always want to give me a hug. You would think my under 10 fan base would be from, I don't know, Liar Liar, House Arrest. Anytime, nine times out of 10, when a little kid comes running up to me and starts hugging my knees, it's because he's seen Chucky, which is astonishing to me because Chucky's not even PG-13. It's like R-rated. I'm like, oh my God, who are all these parents letting their kids watch Chucky? And the parents will come home and they go, he loves Chucky, he's seen it seven times and so have I. And so it's really kind of nice. I guess Chucky is a universal language. Who is Tiffany and what is her relationship to Chucky? Well, I love Tiffany. I remember one of the first days on the set and we're outside my little, she's like a little white trash girl, you know, she's super cool. She's cooler than me for sure. It was that scene where I get the cutie pie. I forget the character's name. You know, the... Jesse. Jesse. I get Jesse. <laughs> it's the scene where I get Jesse to drag the trunk with the body outside and the beautiful sun doubtful day. It looks like a memory, like a beautiful memory. And I remember people were around the monitor and someone goes, she looks just like Marilyn Monroe. And that's what she is. She's like, was kind of like, a I didn't see it before, but she's kind of like a funky, dirty, white trash Marilyn Monroe. And I wore a lot of my own clothes in that movie. I remember the costume was kind of perturbed because I always show up with a suitcase of stuff. So I had a, this dress that Eduardo Lucero made me and I had these like sparkly Gucci slides. The thing which I think is great about Chucky movies and Bride of Chucky especially is the relationship. Like her relationship is so wistful. Like she sees Jesse and she's like, why can't I get a nice guy like that? Like why do I, <laughs> the Chuckies of the world, just the, sort of the disassociation that she feels and sort of a, a disconnect from the real world because she's been in this kind of dark world, this sort of goth underbelly and so the fact that it's in the sunshine and she's with a nice guy who's doing a nice thing helping her with her suitcase and everything it makes her very wistful and there's some moments in the movie which are so poignant i'd never done voiceovers before now i'm like the voiceover queen i do like family guy and simpsons and everything but at the time i hadn't and what they did they put me in me and brad dorf in these two booths facing each other because he wanted us to be able to speak in a cadence that actual people speak in. And that's a lot of times when you see animatronic or cartoons or whatever, sometimes it's a little artificial, the rhythm. They wanted us to overlap. They wanted us to improvise. And Brad's a great improviser. So you like, if I'm screaming, you know, if he's screaming, shut up at me, I'm screaming, shut up back. Or there was a scene where we had a sex scene where we improvised. <laughs> I go, because she hasn't been a doll for very long. So he's about to put it in. And she goes, wait, 
Chucky, wait, do you have a rubber? And he's like, rubber, look at me, baby, I'm all rubber. So we improvise that. And then I always say to the kids, let that be a lesson. You have unprotected sex that leads to an unwanted pregnancy. So apparently, cause he was like, everything works, but you know, you wouldn't think that doll sex could get you pregnant. We were the first people to do doll sex. After that, South Park did a movie where they had doll sex. Our doll sex, I thought was a little bit more charming. When he kissed me, they were doing the voiceover. And I went, oh, Chucky, oh, oh. I did a thing like I was gargling. And it was perfect for when I saw the movie because his tongue came out, stuck out and started rotating around in my mouth. So the sound that I made was actually perfect for the action they came up with. That's what's great when you do a cartoon or when you do Tiffany the doll, because then you see all the really cute things they make the doll do. I remember um, the very first scene I think I shot her early on was the scene where I go, hello, Dolly. And then I put him in a sack and then it's before the opening credits. And then I'm walking out of the big abandoned warehouse and I've got that leather dress on and this hard rock song comes up. I remember I walked into a room one day where the puppeteers were all clustered around watching the little, cause they're trying to see how Tiffany moved. And I heard one of them saying, I was very proud. How does she move like that? It's like she's on springs because, you know, there's a lot of swage of butt action going on. And I felt really proud. They were like, because they were trying to replicate that motion. But that's the kind of, you know, research that goes into that. When you do the movie, they have about eight puppeteers. And the puppeteers all work a different part. They, they have right hand, left hand, they have the blinking, you know, they, they all work different parts. And so it's really hard when you're filming. A lot of times, sometimes they're under the floorboards, but sometimes like in the trailer, it was very tight. Sometimes I'd have to pick up the Chucky doll and walk along with him. And there's all these cords trailing out and all the guys are crawling underneath a blanket, I guess, so they don't make a reflection. So trying not to trip over the puppeteers was like, you know, an important part of my skill set. And then another thing that being an actress knows my camera angles. I was always really careful not to put Chucky on the floor because then he's looking up at me and everyone knows that's the worst angle ever for an actress because you have double chin and you know you look really fat. So whenever I put Chucky down, I try to put him on like a really high counter or I put him on the bed or on the dresser or whatever so I wouldn't have that reverse angle that was so unflattering. When you make a Chucky movie, it's a little like working with Jim Carrey because it's all about Chucky. Like when you make a Jim Carrey movie, he's the million dollar man. He's a brilliant comedian, nothing against him. But when you make a Chucky movie, it's all about Chucky. If you're like, can I do another take? They're like, no, Chucky was perfect in that one because it's all about getting his all, you know, you've got eight people working different parts of his body, getting everything right. So, I mean, you can do your really good emoting on your close up, I guess. But, you know, in the two shots or the master, if Chucky's good, they move on. Is Tiffany a femme fatale? I definitely think Tiffany is a femme fatale and it's really gratifying. I mean, every Halloween, I see all the pictures of people dressing up like Tiffany, the grown-up Tiffany, not so much the Tiffany the doll. One Halloween, Debbie Harry dressed up like Tiffany. Don and I were so excited. And Cardi B and her boyfriend, I don't know if you saw it, but they did a whole sketch where they play Tiffany and Chucky. You know, she's so sexy. 
Bella Thorne dressed up like Tiffany last um, Halloween. It's really so great to see. And if you go to Comic-Con, you see everybody. They love Tiffany. They love Chucky. They love Glinklinda. I was really excited because I, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but my contract, I thought I was going to get a piece of the Tiffany dolls. They were like, and then you should always read your contract in small print because that's what they're saying. Oh, you'll get a little piece. I get a piece of Jennifer Tilly dolls. <laughs> Nobody's making any Jennifer Tilly dolls. So I should have gone over that with a fine tooth comb. But yeah, I think the thing what Tiffany has is a certain insouciance that people are attracted to. I mean, she's just like super cool girl, you know, she, she just doesn't give a fuck. She smokes. She's, you know, she's just really mean to him, which I don't know. I think that's kind of sexy, you know, and but she's also she's a dichotomy because she loves Martha Stewart. She likes to make Swedish meatballs and chocolate chip cookies. I did a movie called Dancing of the Blue Iguana and I played a stripper and we all improvised our parts. We did all this research for several months and some of the girls got up in the clubs and, you know, actually were stripping and, you know, I wasn't, I'm not that much of a method actress, but they said there's a thing called stripper mentality where you're working really hard to support your man <laughs> sitting at home playing video games. That's what I think that Tiffany has a little bit is the stripper mentality. Like she's the coolest girl, but she so wants to be loved by Chucky and does so much stuff for Chucky, like cooking and making his favorite dish and trying to make him happy. And he does a thing where he's critical or he puts her down and then every once in a while she snaps. And I think that her femme fatalness comes from doing her own thing, like the way that she dresses. I guess I'll just say she's a cool chick. That's where her femme fatalness comes from. But I didn't realize she was a femme fatale until I started seeing all these people dressing like her and emulating her. And then the Tiffany doll, that's something else altogether. She's almost like a different creature. And I think people find it very funny that the sexy Tiffany goes into the little doll and then tries to recreate her Tiffany days, like with the dyeing the hair and making her fingernails black and everything. And now she's sort of diminutized. Is that a word? She's, she's sort of, they, now she's sort of like weirdly like shrunk, like she now so she's almost like a troll version of Tiffany. And when I went into the doll, I thought, well, the doll voice, I have a voice for Tiffany, which was sort of like a Marilyn Monroe voice. But then the doll voice got even more doll-like because I figured she just has little doll vocal cords. So I make it more like echoing around. So Tiffany, let's see if I can do this. Tiffany would talk like this. My mother always told me, if you make dinner for a man, he should at least wash the dishes. Isn't that right, sweet face? And then Tiffany would talk like, my mother always told me, if you make dinner for a man, he should at least wash the dishes. Isn't that right, sweet face? So I did, I don't know if you even noticed it. It's very subtle, but I did make a delineation between Tiffany and the human form and Tiffany in the dull form. Is it fair to say that Bride of Chucky is a romantic tragedy? I really do feel like Bride of Chucky is a romantic tragedy because 
It's almost Romeo and Juliet. It's almost like a love that was never meant to be. And at the very end of the movie, when Tiffany gets shot or gets killed or something happens to her, but she says just before she dies, she said, we belong dead. And that was a line that really struck her when she was watching Frankenstein, when Elsa Lancaster says, we belong dead. And they cut to Tiffany in the bathroom and she's crying. And it's because she feels such emptiness and she feels disassociated from the world. And she feels maybe not loved by Chucky, but they have this sort of sad pact and this is before she became a doll that he's he's a killer doll and there there's this chasm between them that they can't breach so when she dies the last thing she says we belong dead and it's really sad because it's like that line just resonated with her and when we were doing that scene i looked across at brad dorf who plays chucky and it's a brilliant actor and I saw he was crying and I was crying. I had tears rolling down my, my cheeks. And I th think that that's why, a little bit why people are sort of emotionally connected to the dolls because we were emotionally connected to them and emotionally connected to their relationship. We weren't just saying like, oh, they're just dolls, right? They're, yeah, they're walking around and killing people, okay. We really felt that it was very important to have actual relationships and that's why the producers and, and Don and Ronnie had us in the same room when we were doing the dialogue because he wanted us to really be interacting with each other, not just doing voiceovers. How much time did you spend with the other actors? Because at a certain point, your human self is killed and you become a doll. So was most of your time spent in ADR? Yeah, I only worked on the movie for a couple of weeks. We did the ADR first. So I met Brad, whom I love, and we, we've we done four movies together, and Don usually brings us in at the same time, and we do it together. I remember when we were doing The Bride of Chucky, after we did the ADR, you know, Brad, it's very intense. He was staring at me like this, like, and then he turned to Don, and he goes, how come I haven't had a girlfriend sooner? Like he liked this new development in the life of Chucky. And I think he said he felt like it humanized him more because before that he was just sort of like an angry virago. Now he's got with that and then with Cedar Chucky, now he's got a wife, he's got woman problems. And then he has the kid, the transgender fluid kid that he just can't figure out because it's like so outside his wheelhouse. And, you know, and he's got his wife telling him like, we shouldn't kill people anymore, Chucky, <laughs> you know? And he's like, so he's just whipsawed. And I think that people can kind of relate to that. Here's the baddest motherfucker in the universe. And he's like being uh, um, impacted by his girlfriend who's telling him what he should and should not do. And he, he can't discipline his kid and his kid is all, you know, deciding that he's going to be something different. And it's just like, Chucky, there's even a line in Bride of Chucky, like, oh, Chucky, he's so 80s. And he is kind of a child of the 80s. Like his whole sensibility is sort of an old fashioned like if he was a man, he'd probably be like 40 old, 50 year old man now. So this whole new world is it's like a little bit. So he deals with it. The only way he knows how is just like up the kill count. Right.
tell me a little about the relationship you formed with Don Mancini, the man who created Chucky. After we did the first Chucky movie, we started this sort of club because we realized, I said, nobody ever wants to see the movies I want to see, which would be like sort of foreign films like Run, Lola, Run, or I remember that was one of the ones. I said, or else I'm the last person to see the big blockbusters. So we sort of were in rhythm there. So we had a movie going club where we go see movies a couple times a month and see these movies that we wanted to see. And then we'd sit and discuss them afterwards. And then he got the idea for Seed of Chucky. So we would have lunch and we'd be like, you're going to play yourself. And I said, oh my God, can you make me like the bitch diva from hell? And we come up with jokes and you know like there's some of the lines in Seed of Chucky I came up with you know people are like oh that was so mean like when Tiffany Dahl is pulling Jennifer Tilly along the floor and I was in the booth I go fuck she's fat (laughs) I remember some people thought that was really mean of Dawn is like no no I came up with that line so we have like the same sense of humor. And it's funny because I used to go out and do stuff with Don all the time. And now I have my new boyfriend, Phil. And I say new boyfriend, it's been 17 years. And Phil loves Don. So Phil always wants to come along. And Phil like looks up to him. He came home from Don's house and he's like, his garage is so organized and everything is labeled and there's a place for everything. I want to be exactly like that. And then we went to a film festival in Asheville and Phil was all excited. He goes, Don's going to get up in the morning and go running. And I said, I'm going to go running with him. And I'm like, oh, are you sure? And he goes, yes. <laughs> and Phil showed up at the house about 20 minutes after he left. And he's all like splotchy. And he goes, I tried to keep up, but Don runs like a gazelle. <laughs> he goes, he just kept running. He just left me behind. <laughs> he's like, oh. He sure is in shape. But um, I've known Don for so many years. I know like all the, all this personal life I love, but I can't, I don't have him to myself anymore because my boyfriend loves him. He always wants to come along. He's like, we're, and then he'll do like a little text. Like Don, when are we all three going to go out for a movie? But Don also, he loves horror films. And you can tell when you see the Chucky franchise and there's a lot of homages to different films in all, you know, in all of his films. And there's sort of like little Easter eggs for people who love horror films. Like, for example, in Seed of Chucky is Pino Donaggio, who did a lot of Brian De Palma's um, music to score it. And he said that was one of the biggest thrills of his life to meet Pino. But he loves horror films. And so he, when he, he couldn't believe I hadn't seen like most of the great horror films. And so he kind of started my education. And I just remember we'd see the Omen because I used to not like scary films. And, you know, all these great films he took me to see. And he sort of taught me to see the beauty in horror films. And that's the thing about Bride of Chucky, even though it's ridiculous, you know, you've got a spliff smoking plastic doll, like um, doing Jack Jack Nicholson impression. But at the same time, there's beautiful haunting scenes like I love the scene where I'm putting the doll together and I think I sew them together and then I hold them to my arms and then I sink to the floor like a lover. And I think, Ronnie, you ran the film backwards to create like a really haunting dreamlike quality in that. And I, I was talking earlier about how the bathtub scene was so beautiful. And then when Jesse is running along and he's carrying Tiffany by the hair, I made noises like, oh, ow, 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 that hurts, ow. Making noises like that. But it's a beautiful scene because there's all these rags hanging. This is a, a Hong Kong movie influence hanging from the trees like black and they're waving in the wind. It's just sort of like a really surreal, supernatural looking scene. And Dawn put so much like if the movies weren't Chucky movies, Dawn would be collecting Oscars because the movies are so beautifully thought out. The characters are so 
well-written. Curse of Chucky, I just thought was brilliant. And, you know, with the addition of Fiona Dorov, who plays Nika, I mean, just it's just totally turned a corner into a, another area. But we're talking about Bride of Chucky, which is all about me. So I won't I won't go off on a, on a tangent. Are you a fan of Bride of Frankenstein? You know, I've never seen it. I have never seen it. And honestly, Don is really annoyed because I didn't see. He keeps going because I go, well, you know, um, talking about the Chucky movies, I go, well, you know, in, in the first one, I, you know, that's when I did the blah, blah, blah. He goes, Jennifer, he goes, there were three more movies. There were three movies before Bride of Chucky. Bride of Chucky was not the first one. And they're like, oh, sorry. I haven't seen, I still haven't seen the first three Chucky movies, but I feel like as an actress, that's before my time. So I didn't. Well, it's not actually. It's just me being lazy. But I, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably be watching them. So uh, yes, I, I still do have big gaps in my horror movie education, which I, I'm going to remedy. It is funny. I did not see Bride of Frankenstein. So since you've had this horror movie education, what kind of films appeal to you? I love The Omen. I just thought, I thought that was brilliant. I like horror films, which are films like. It's a normal film. I actually like them before the horror part starts. Like The Shining. It's a story about a family. The horror is just almost incidental. Like the horror is within. It's within. It's not like all monsters, boogie, jumping out of things. And that's also Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist. I like The Exorcist when, you know, it's this small college town and the trees are changing and the mom is, you know, trying to cope with the teenager. I liked it even before it became truly, truly horrifying. And that's what I think is great about some of Don's movies is that it sneaks up on you. So it starts out kind of normal. And then, well, Bride of Chucky didn't start out normal. So I'm actually thinking about the series. So I should probably not mention that. But I, I do like horror films where they're beautifully shot and where character is really important. And that's why I think that people don't understand how much they like the Chucky movies. I think they think like, oh, but that's so funny when he kills people. But I think that there's a deeper need that is sated when they see these Chucky films that they really identify with the characters. And that's where it's very, very cool that Don brings back characters from the first movie and the second movie because he understands that the audience sees them as real people and is on an emotional journey with them, even if they are little plastic dolls. Why do you think the Chucky movies, and Tiffany in particular, have such a big LGBTQ following? Well, you know, Don is a proud gay man. And even in Bride of Chucky, one of the really great characters was the best friend. And he was a guy that you really liked. And, you know, just the, he was actually probably the most sane person in the movie. He's the one giving the good advice. Like, uh, you know, this is like, <laughs> this. we need to get away from here. You need. So he was like a really cool guy and at the same time it didn't stop him from getting hit by a truck and exploding into a million pieces like a watermelon so but he's always had um 
well, I'm a gay icon. I can say that without hubris. I, I just am. <laughs> My ex-husband said, if there was a gay Mount Rushmore, he goes, you would be on it. He goes, who else would be on it? He's like, you, Judy Garland. He was saying, naming some people and made me feel good. I have a big gay following from the Chucky movies, as well as some other movies like Bound in and Bullet Suffer, Bob White. But because I think some elements of, especially Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky are very, very campy. I ran into John Waters at the Spirit Awards after Bride of Chucky and he was like, oh my God, I love the Chucky movies. And I called him down and I was like, John Waters loves the Chucky movie, we need to kill him. And he goes, yes, I've talked to John Waters, I've talked to his people. So we put him in Seed of Chucky and it's a measure of how much respect Don has for you if he kills you in a really horrible way. You know, like day players get dispatched like, you know, kick him, kick him away. But if he really, it's a point of honor. So he had the acid fall on John Waters' head and then he shrivels up and, and his skin all peels off and he dies. They also had a cameo in Bride of Chucky from Kathy Jimmy, who is also has a very, very big gay following. And it, it's sort of like a little Easter egg. Oh, like, oh, the housekeeper is Kathy Jimmy. <laughs> and I think that one of the elements, and I think this is a lot of times why the um, gay people love the Lady Gaga or Judy Garland, is that they can identify with that sense of displacement that, that Tiffany feels. And also Chucky being a man in a doll's body, that feeling like, oh, I don't really, I feel different from other people. I don't really uh, belong anywhere. But all of Dawn's scripts have very positive gay characters in them. And I think that that's, it's really funny because I would say the hardcore audience for Chucky is very straight, macho audience. But it, there's also, it encompasses everything. Like it has a big gay following. It has a big straight man following. I'd say the only following, no, it does. It has a woman, a woman following too. I think everybody, everybody loves Chucky. And kids love it, which I mentioned before. I just think that's astonishing that kids love Chucky. Why do you think these movies are so popular? It's a release. It's like going on the roller coaster. Like you go up, 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 and then you're like, ah, you're going down. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then you get to the bottom and you're not dead. And then you feel really good and happy and relieved. It's like a release. So I think when you go to horror movies where scary things happen, you scream and you jump out of your seat and people get killed. And then the lights come on and you're shaking the popcorn off your lap. And you're like really happy that, you know, you're, you're, you were screaming and you had sort of weird and vicariously near death experiences. And now you're fine. Now you go and get some pasta with your friends and, you know, go on living your life. And they're so silly that you have permission to just sort of really enjoy them. It's not like, you know, sometimes you'll go see a movie and it's maybe about an important subject or it's really serious or sometimes perhaps even if it's a comedy, it's very intellectual. Sometimes it's hard to concentrate. You don't even have to concentrate in a Chucky movie. I mean, you can fall asleep, you wake up, Chucky's still running around killing people. And also it's like the familiar. It's kind of like, I used to love to have my mom tell me bedtime stories. She'd tell me, I would be always like, oh, tell the story about, you know, the princess and the fox. I'd heard that story a million times before. There's a certain familiarity in hearing the same story over and over again. And so I think people know when they see the Chucky movie, even though Don does different things all the time and he's very creative, but to a certain extent, you know what you're going to get. You know, Chucky is never going to fully die. He's going to kill people in new creative horrifying ways and Tiffany's going to help him. So I think that that's what people like. I mean, I think they have a great deal of affection for him because they grew up with him. 
Did playing Tiffany help you discover new parts of yourself as an actress or as a person? I think Tiffany had me get in touch a little bit with my sluttier side, like the way that she dressed a little bit. I kind of I like that sort of kind of punk goth look. And I think I incorporated that a little bit of that into my my nightclub look that Tiffany, what I learned from her is a little bit of she's very, very plucky. And, you know, sometimes some lines that she has float up in my mind like she goes Rome wasn't built in a day you know and then sometimes she'll have a little slip because she's trying to quit killing people in Cedar Chucky and she kills somebody and then she goes it, it was just a little slip so she's very forgiving of herself and she just keeps picking herself up and continuing on and I think that sometimes like when I'm on my diet I'm like where did that pie go oh I ate it and then I go it was just a little slip. <laughs> so I really do love her, her can-do spirit. And also, too, when she suddenly finds herself in a doll's body, she's mad. I mean, but she doesn't fall into depression. She gets out the hair dye and the black nail polish and, you know, rips up her dress. And she's like, tries to approximate a look that she is comfortable with. She's very plucky and has a lot of perseverance and especially in Hollywood I think that that's a trait that really comes in handy just to never give up that was the effervescent Jennifer Tilly join us next time for actor extraordinaire Jeffrey Combs History of Horror Uncut is a Shudder original podcast hosted by Eli Roth and Kurt Zayenga. Produced by Kurt Zayenga. Engineered by Chris Heckman. With music by Joseph Bashara. For Oddity, Jessica Bastilos and Lacey Oglevoy. For Shudder, Craig Engler, Nicholas Lazo, and Samuel Zimmerman. The interviews in this program were originally conducted for the third season of the AMC television series Eli Roth's History of Horror. Executive producers Eli Roth, Kurt Sayanga, Stephen Michaels, Allison Berkeley, Joseph Freed, Jody Flynn, and James McNabb. Senior producer Ben Raphael Schur. Thanks to Marco Brazes, Kelly Nash, Chris Powers, and Clara Zwerbel at AMC. This is Kurt Sayanga for Eli Roth's History of Horror Uncut. <laughs>